Hi, and welcome to Be More Super, the podcast. I'm Brian, your host. And this week, we've got the wonderful actor, Dominic Famusa, who could be seen in Nurse Jackie, Homeland, um, The Purge, 13 Hours, so many things this man has been in. Also, this podcast is brought to you by the wonderful people at Prop Store. So if you want to get your genuine, and I mean genuine, screen use prop or costume piece, this is the place to go. www.propstore.com Check them out. They're amazing. They've got a wonderful auction coming up in December. So check out that, their website, register, and uh, cross your fingers um, if you win anything. They're a great company to deal with. And I'll be interviewing Stephen Lane again very, very soon, who is the CEO of the company, um, about the auction in December. And remember, not only have we got the pad- podcast on you know, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We've also got our official YouTube channel where you can watch the interviews. And I'm just asking every single person out there, please, please, please share, like the video and subscribe. It's so important for the show for you to subscribe and like the videos going forward so we can get some more guests. And we have got some amazing guests coming up so please 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 subscribe like and share so sit back relax and enjoy this interview with dominic famusa welcome to be more super the podcast in action packed podcast where we'll discuss all things entertainment you're the answer to are we alone in the universe conventions prop collecting cosplay interviews reviews and so much more the show starts with host brian garner right now on this week's episode of Be More Super, the podcast, we've got a great star. You've seen him in 13 Hours, The Purge, uh, Nurse Jackie, and he has been voted one of television's hottest actors of comedy by Entertainment Weekly. It's Dominic Famusa. Welcome to the show, my man. Hey, good, good to talk with you, Brian. Good to be here. <laughs> and how does it feel being voted um, television's hottest actor? of comedy <laughs> well that that was a while ago i think i got that has that might have been like back in 08 or 09 something like that when the show yeah. first debuted uh you know it was it was funny i mean i'd never thought of myself as being particularly hot or being much of a comedian so it was a nice <laughs> it was a nice surprise on both on both fronts and did you get anything for it did you get like a statue or um you know was it just in a magazine <laughs> it was just it was just in the magazine i think we picked up a couple of copies of the magazine at the newsstand and that, that was about it yeah that is awesome so you know what um, before i interview the stars i do a bit of research on on them and the first thing that i was shocked at you're one of 10 children is that the italian side of your family (laughs) (laughs) uh well you know um yeah it's pretty crazy i you know i have two kids of my own and i i often say to my parents you know what what were you thinking you know it's like (laughs) and then they quickly point out that since i became i came at the end of that line uh if they hadn't done that i wouldn't be here yeah to which i say well i wouldn't know that i wouldn't be here so what's the difference um yeah you know my parents uh, both were raised catholic and my mom's not italian actually my father is the uh the uh, son of italian immigrants from sicily but my mother is uh born and raised uh in northern wisconsin on a farm her ancestry goes back uh english scottish german uh, anyway, they said they always wanted, they both came from small families. My mom only had two brothers. My dad had one sister. And they claimed that they always, when they got together, they thought they always wanted a really big family. And sure enough, that's what they got. <laughs> and was it quite competitive being in such a large group of siblings? You know, it's funny. Uh, I, first of all, the breakdown is seven girls and three boys. So, wow. uh, and both of my brothers I have one brother who's 11 years older than I am, and I have another brother who's four years older than I am. So uh, it wasn't competitive in the sense that we were doing the same things at the same time. But as I got older and I got, there's a joke in my family. uh, When I was younger, my brothers called me little because I was the little brother. And as I grew up, I became, you know, I'm about 6'2", and my... uh, my two brothers are, I think, five ten and five nine. So they became the little ones. So I flipped it, and then I started calling them little, 
and now we call each other little all the time. Um, uh, but, you know, it, it, uh, we were into different things, and so uh, there wasn't a lot of head-to-head competition in that way. Yeah. Yeah. And with my sisters, the same thing, I would say. And when growing up with all those siblings all around you, who was your biggest influence, you know, that, that, that was your driving force? Uh, I would say it was my brother Joe uh, in many ways. He's the one who's 11 years older than I am. And uh, so he went off to college when I was, you know, only six years old. And he was, uh, yeah, he was sort of my hero. I mean, I really looked up to him and we did a lot of things together. And whenever he came home, uh, you know, I always wanted to be around him every second because, you know, he was away at college. So I didn't get to see him as much anymore. Mm. And I, 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 I actually, he, he used to leave on Sunday mornings to go, but when he'd come home, he used to, we, we grew up just outside of Madison, Wisconsin. And my brother went to school down in Bloomington, Indiana. So that's about, if you drive it, it's about five, six hours. And so he didn't come home all that often. But when he did, uh, he would leave change. He would leave like quarters on the, on the bed stand for me uh, when I woke up. He'd leave early and I'd wake up and I'd find this change. And I was, you know, a little kid. I thought, oh my God, I'm rich. And I remember that so clearly. And I tell my, my wife that story and she, she thinks that's so sad. But <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the kind of thing, you know, when you're little, you, you just, uh, I listen to the music my older siblings listen to. So all my favorite rock is from the seventies. Uh, and my movies, all my favorite movies are from the seventies. I, you know, I can't get enough of dog day afternoon and yeah. the Godfather and, you know, um, all, all of those great movies of the seventies, uh, De Niro and raging bull. I, I think, um, I'd rather watch an old movie like that than, than maybe catch something that's new, which yeah. I get I think a lot of, flack for in my house but, uh, <laughs> yeah especially, especially stuff, in your trade. Yeah. yeah i mean when you was growing up um you know what was the first movie that you saw i mean did you actually let's re- rewind did you always want to be an actor or did you want to be some something else because um i was watching um a video on you youtube where you went to uh notre dame you know for Ru- oh. Ru- rudy and yeah. you mentioned that you played football uh when you was younger i mean did you want to always act or was you into your sports? I was, no, I would say I was far more into my sports. Uh, I played football, basketball, baseball. I was, I did everything I could. I actually loved wrestling. Wrestling was probably my best sport. But when I was in a freshman in high school, I had started wrestling, I think in sixth grade. And and I had to decide because wrestling and and basketball are both winter sports in you know, America. So uh, I had to decide, was I going to wrestle and, we by far a better wrestler, but the, 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 you know, the, the, the clue to my desire to be an actor, I think came in the fact that I looked at the situation wrestlers wrestled on Tuesdays and Thursdays night, Thursday nights to an empty gym. And on Friday nights, the basketball team played with the band and a full house. And I was, it was, it seemed so thrilling to me to, to be in front of all those people. Uh, that I actually chose basketball, which I was good enough at. I mean, I, I did play and I ended up starring uh, on, the, on the basketball team, but I would have gone much further with my wrestling. But I, a big part of why I chose it, and I'm, I'm a little embarrassed to say this, but I think uh, had more people come to those wrestling matches, I probably would have stuck with wrestling because I was, I was much better at it. But I think I, that's when that sort of started to feed my need, I think, to be, to be uh, in the front of the of the situation. And, uh, and I did start doing plays in high school, but it was just another activity. I mean, I was in the band. I, I was part of the school newspaper. I just, you know, I showed up to play rehearsal uh, and, and I did the plays and I, I got some good parts, but I didn't really completely fall in love with acting until I got to college. I was, I was at a small uh, liberal arts college called Lawrence University, which is in Appleton, Wisconsin. There's only about 1500 students there. And because it's such a small school, you could do everything. I was a, I was a, a political science major. We called it government. And, and I was on the track to become a lawyer. Uh, most of my friends took the LSAT and became lawyers. They went to law school after college. But when, I, when it came time for me to be a junior, in, or a senior, sorry, senior in college, I had to get ready for the LSAT. Uh, I, I had like a panic attack. And I realized if I don't change my, my plan here, I may never act again. And I had been doing the school plays. I, I, I had been getting leads in the school plays at this small college. And I, I loved it. And I, I realized it was the only thing that really 
satisfied me. It made, it made me feel whole. Um, and so I switched plans. I went to graduate school for acting. I got an MFA at the University of Illinois, and that, that sort of put me on my way. Can you remember the first thing that you starred in like on, on, on stage? Can you remember the first play that you did? Well, the, the very first play. Yeah. When I was 14 years old, uh, we had a very creative... We had a very creative drama teacher at my high school, and he would take classics and turn them into other, other forms. So one of the first plays, the very first one might have been 42nd Street, which he turned the 42nd Street musical into, he was into Kabuki. Right. So he was teaching us about Kabuki at this little school in the middle <laughs> of Wisconsin. It made no sense. But uh, that's the kind of guy he was. He was constantly, his name was Eugene Olson, and he, he was a legend at my school. He constantly... Uh, was challenging us to think outside the box and, you know, far outside of our little town. And so we learned about Kabuki and he combined Kabuki dance with the 42nd Street musical. And that was one of the first, that was one of the first, I had a small part, but, and I can't (laughs) sing, so I can't sing. So I was not ever a lead. I'm, you know what? I'm sure you can sing. You know when they say that people can't can't sing. Um, I just think it's a cop out. Every, everyone's got a voice. Um, <laughs> okay, so, fair enough. You might not want to hear me sing. <laughs> so um, yeah, well, the mu- the music that we hear now, um, you know, you know that monkey song. I I, I just think's hilarious. Really good though. Uh, my girls absolutely love singing it all the time, which is yeah. quite quite annoying. Um, so. So you've got into acting, um, you know, w- you know, what inspired you to actually uh, tread this stage? You know, you know, uh, you know, because obviously you've you, you've done your sports, uh, you, you, you've gone to university, uh, what we, we, we would call over here. So what inspired you actually to forget everything about sports and just concentrate on the arts? Well, you know, the sports thing took care of itself. I, I got to college and I did play football in college as well. But yeah. I quit even at the – and it was a Division three. You know, in the States, uh, the, the, college, the university athletic system is, is divided into three categories. There's Division one, which is Notre Dame and, you know, USC and North Carolina basketball and all that. Then there's Division two, which is, you know, still a scholarship athlete, but significantly lower uh, in terms of the overall – uh, you know, talent pool. And then there's division three, which is really an extension of high school athletics. I mean, I'm not saying anybody could do it, but pretty much anybody could do it. Right. I mean, there are very, there are some very good division three schools and I don't want to disparage that in terms of their sports, but the Lawrence, for example, uh, you know, if you showed up for football practice, you were on the team. I mean, you didn't yes. remember anybody being caught. I like the idea of that. Yeah. I mean, I don't think any, I didn't mean you were going to play, but you certainly could suit up. Um, so I did play a little bit and I got to start a little bit. I played quarterback a little bit, but very quickly I realized by my sophomore year of college, you know, I just wasn't as good as I thought I was. And, and there was absolutely no question after college it would be done. I mean, I wasn't even remotely in the arena of a professional athlete. So, uh, which is not to say I don't throw a good football. I, I can, when you, you know, if we were to play catch, you go, oh, wow, you got a good arm. <laughs> and to this day, I pride myself on the beach when I'm throwing, Look at a buddy buddy of mine in college said, "No matter what happens, you will always be able to throw football better than the average person." I said, "Okay, I'll take it." Um, So I guess uh, really the the question was, as I said, um, was I going to stick on this trajectory of uh, of law school? Uh, You know, I love, I still love it. I mean, I studied political science, I studied constitutional law, I studied American history, uh, all, all kinds of things that sort of fed into that world. And and to this day, when I'm reading for pleasure. I'm more likely to read that yeah. than, than I am anything else. That being said, like I, you know, I came to that point uh, when all my buddies were getting ready to take the LSAT and apply to law school. And I was like, man, I, it really hit me. I, I don't know. It just, uh, it was scary almost. And, it, and it, it's funny because I, I, I consider the, the path of an actor to be about as scary of a path as one could possibly choose. But the idea of not choosing that seemed even more frightening. So, yeah. so that's where I ended up. And then you, you know, you go on stage, uh, you make your Broadway debut uh, with Quentin Tarantino, Stephen Lang. I just, yeah. I just, Quentin Tarantino. I mean, what is he like to work with? Because he's one of these pe- people that just seems like a genius, but 
quite odd. He he is a bit of both, I would say. Um, he was great. He was great. He was very very uh, welcoming, and uh, he would take us to. He he had an apartment in the city at the time while we were doing the play, and he would invite us over, and we we'd watch these obscure sort of movies that no one else had heard of, and he. He'd pause it and he'd talk about, you know, why this shot was interesting and how it fits into the historical, you know, context of other of other films and filmmakers. Uh, you know, look, Quinn is uh, is he's a one of a kind. I mean, he he had never acted professionally in his life. He he confessed the last time he we did the play in 1998 on Broadway. I think at that time maybe he was uh, in his mid 30s. And he had not acted since he was 17 years old in a community theater production. Wow. But, but the second, but, but he had already directed Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown was about to come out. He was the hottest director on the planet. And the second he put his name to that production, the producers told me they were able to raise the money overnight. Yeah. So, you know, his fame is what made that play happen. Um, he, he had a very challenging role. And I always tell people that just to get a sense of what that role is like, on stage it was originally played by Robert Duvall. And in the film, I think it's played by Alan Arkin. So two of the greatest actors of our, you know, of our times played that part. So he was, you know, he was really, you know, challenging himself to say the least. He, he did a fine job. I mean, I don't think anyone would accuse Quentin of being, you know, one of the world's greatest actors, but he did okay and 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 it was fun and it was nothing but uh a, a joyful experience i look back on it very very fondly i'm glad you mentioned stephen lang who who uh is obviously not nearly as famous but a, a hell of an actor and and was so generous with me i i was in my mid 20s and i uh you know i'd knock on his dressing room door and i'd say hey man after the show you want to get a beer or, or you know hang for a bit and he he was almost always welcoming and he would tell me stories of, you know, because I had come up through the theater, you know, and he, he had worked at, at the Guthrie in Minneapolis and at other great theaters. Uh, he, he had been a part of the Death of a Salesman that um, Dustin Hoffman and Malkovich had done yeah. uh, in the 80s. I, I mean, he's an actor's actor. And, yeah. and, and that's the kind of people I gravitated toward. It's the kind of people I still gravitate toward. And I, I just, you know, I, I couldn't get enough of, of asking him questions. And he was he was so uh, forthcoming and, and uh, generous with his time and his, and his knowledge. Uh, I really, it, it was one of those seminal moments in, in early in my career. Uh, do you get, do you know what, do you get nervous at all? I mean, obviously your Broadway debut, Quentin Tarantino, Stephen Lang, obviously this, this uh, production has been, you know, sp spotlit because of Quentin Tarantino. Did you suffer from any nerves at all? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And, and I'll just say, in my opinion, if you ever talk to an actor who says they never got nervous, they're either lying or they don't really know what they're doing. <laughs> I mean, because, and that's that, I feel that strongly. I, um, I, I had terrible, uh, by then I was a little better, but when I first started, I did a season at the Stratford Festival right out of graduate school. And I'll never forget, um, I was playing Charles as a wrestler in As You Like It. And after the opening night, we did this party with a bunch of, you know, the benefactors of the theater. And, and this one man, you know, God bless him, most people would never do this. But he came up to me and he said, hey, can I talk to you for a second? I said, sure. He said, great job tonight. But I got to be honest with you. When you first came out on stage, you looked, you looked a little off. You looked <laughs> like you were thrown, like you were nervous out there. And, and of course, I was. Yeah. And I, but but. You know, and the, and the thing is, I think in the theater, you can't hide it. No. I, I, I'll tell you another quick story after this about being nervous, where it didn't come across that I was nervous, but I thought for sure it would. But, but um, anyway, from that point on, I, I was actually very grateful to him because, I mean, my first reaction was, fuck you. I can't believe you just said that to me. <laughs> but, but then I went home and I thought about it. And I said, you know what? He was right. I was nervous. And I've got to work on that. Uh, and, and so over the course of many years, I, I really trained myself how to relax because that's all acting is, you know, it's yeah. really just breathing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we learn our lines, we learn our, our choreography, we study the script, we know why we're doing something and we know how we're doing it and, and you know, all of that. But at the end of the day, you want to forget everything 
and just simply show up and breathe. It's, yeah. it's, that, it's that hard and it's that easy. I mean, um, I, I mean how, how, how do you learn your lines? Because I did performing arts at college and university. And uh, for me, um, I always used to forget the first line, you know, before go, go, going on stage, the first line. And I had to have the first line written on my hand or somewhere on, on, on stage. It's because as soon as I knew what the first line was, that was it plain sailing from there on sure. what is your technique in learning lines and have you ever forgotten any on stage before uh yes yes uh, <laughs> definitely i've forgotten lines on stage um my my technique is 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 very straightforward i drill it it's all i do i just drill it i i um I, it's repetition over and over and over again. I read it out loud. I, I'll, I'll, I'll look at it. Okay, I got it. I'll say it. Okay, I'll look at it again. I got it. I'll say it. And I'll just, I'll do that literally for hours. Yeah. And, and a lot of actors I've met don't like to work that way because there's nothing connected to it. You know, I, I've met many actors who feel like, oh, I've got to, I've got to connect it to uh, my intention. I've got to connect it to um, my overall strategy here and and be until i until i do the you know what what we call table work uh until i've done that i can't possibly start to learn my lines but i i tell you i don't i don't subscribe to that at all yeah if you hire me for a play that's going to start rehearsing in a month's time i will most likely come to the first rehearsal off book what that that's that's how i feel i and it gives me tremendous freedom yeah. Tremendous freedom, Brian. And I've done it both ways, but I absolutely, over the course of 20, 25 years now, I absolutely have to do it that way. And, it, <laughs> and, and, it, and, I, and I've met many actors who agree with me, don't get me wrong. It's, it's, it's more of a, it's probably like a 50-50 split. But um, as, as far as forgetting lines on stage, of course, uh, the, the, the one that comes to mind is when I was in graduate school, uh, I was in a, a production of a John Patrick Shanley play. Uh, you know, he's the guy who wrote Moonstruck. And, yeah. Yeah, a wonderful playwright, and he uh, he wrote a play called Italian American Reconciliation, and the the part I was playing was originally played by John Turturro, off Broadway. Um, anyway, uh, it starts the play starts with like a five page monologue, and <laughs> um, you know uh, I was a I was a replacement. Uh, some guy got hurt. Uh, it, it wasn't an official uh, school production, so it was, it was sort of at this. At the University of Illinois, it was what they called the Armory, and it was uh, it was a student-led, student-produced thing. And uh, a buddy of mine came and he said, "Hey, we just lost our actor. You've got? Could you think you could do this part?" I looked at him, and went, "Wow, it's a lot." And he gave me like a week to learn it. Right? He gave me a week to learn. It. So it's like when you cram for a test in school, right? You mm-hmm. cram, cram, cram. You take the test, and then the next day you've forgotten everything. Right? You didn't really learn anything. Right? So I cram, cram, cram for this play over the course of a week. I learn all the play. I learn all the lines. I got it down. I get through opening night. Uh, it's a success. I'm thrilled. The next night, I get about a minute into my opening monologue, and I go up. I'm completely blank. I got nothing. And I, um, I mean, you know, you, you literally feel like you're about to die. Like somebody has a gun to your head, and you're about to get shot. <laughs> and you can't go anywhere. It's the worst thing. So all I, I, could, I did what I could do. I, I walked off stage. <laughs> and I asked someone backstage to tell me what my line was. <laughs> and then I came back on stage. There was nothing else to be done. And, and, and that, that's an extreme example. But, but, you know, usually when you forget a line, either you make something up or somebody, come, somebody else on stage. See, that's the thing. It was a monologue, so nobody could save me. But yeah. I've had situations where I've forgotten the line and then my, my partner on stage, you know, comes in with something and, and we figure it out. Um, that's very hard. I did a lot of Shakespeare as a younger actor, and you can't. I mean, oh, Shakespeare. Oh. You cannot improvise Shakespeare. I mean, you no, just no, Shakespeare. Oh, hence and avoid thy sight. If thy ban is trunk, you know, it's you know, you know, what? I like, I like Shakespeare, but but it was so hard. It really was. Uh, we learned a lot about Stephen Burkoff. Um, you know, metamorphosis, um, you know, and all, and all that lot. And I think, I I think the greatest production I was ever in was Cabaret. Absolutely love it. I played Clifford Bradshaw and I had to do an American accent, which apparently I did really, really well. I mean, how are you on your accents? Can you do 
Uh, I, I can do a couple of them. What's that? Can you do any, any, any other apart from American? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, well, I, my, my, so I'm a twin. I have right. a twin sister named Laura. And one of our running gags is I call her and pretend that I'm Liam Neeson. Oh, yes. <laughs> so uh, now you're putting me on the spot. I don't know if I can do it, but let me give me a second. <laughs> Laura, it's Liam. How are you? Listen, Laura, I'm not going to be able to see you today. I'm down at the pub. Sorry about that, but uh, there's a lot going on and we've got to figure it out. But uh, Laura, you know, if you want to get together later, you call me up and I'll see you because you are one lovely lass. And, uh, you know, I love you, Laura. I love you. I love you from here to the moon and back. So, Laura, I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Okay, ta-ta. <laughs> Bravo. That is a lot better than my... <laughs> I could not attempt that. I mean, have you ever ever lied on your resume? Because I know that in when you go for acting jobs, they will ask you stuff like, can you ride a horse, ride a motorbike, you know? Have you ever put something down on a resume then had to learn that skill because you've got the job? Uh, well, I've, I've definitely lied about credits. When I was younger, I mean, I yeah. didn't do that. But when I, when I first came to New York, uh, all I had was school plays. For film and television on your resume. Yeah. So I made, up, I, made, <laughs> I made up the titles of these, you know, independent films that never existed. Um, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know that I ever really lied in terms of the special skills section. I mean, I can juggle. I uh, have a valid driver's license. Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't have a lot of special skills, but um, I never felt I, I am good at stage combat. I'm a certified, you know, got certified in, in stage combat in college. And, and I've been able my whole career. I've loved doing my own stunts. And I love whenever I get to do, um, you know, any kind of fighting, either on stage or on screen. I, I always am game for that. I love that stuff. Yeah. I mean, you've performed on stage, uh, New York, in L.A. and even London. Um, yeah. yeah, which London's the best. I, I, I was just about to say, which one did you enjoy the most? So, how, how how long was you in London for? So, I did two plays in London. I did a play in the summer of two thousand two. God, it's so long ago, isn't it? Uh, we did uh, we did uh, the the premiere of a play called Take Me Out, which was a play by Richard Greenberg that went. So it was a it was a joint production. We we premiered at the Dunmar uh, in Covent Garden. And then um, brought it back to New York, played it at the public downtown. And, uh, and then it went to Broadway and it won the Tony Award. It was, awesome. it was a phenomenal play. It was directed by Joe Mantello, who's one of the best theater directors ever. And uh, it, was, uh, it was a play about baseball. Do you know anything about that play? It's, it's a play about American yeah. baseball. And, uh, and it, it, was, it was really a bit ahead of its time. It, it, it was this fictional team that very closely represented the New York Yankees. We were called the New York Empires, but we had the pinstripe uniforms and all that. And, uh, and our, star, our star player, uh, a guy named Darren Lemming, came out of the closet during the right. season. And I mean, actually, that's still, I don't think ever happened, but it certainly felt uh, very, you know, uh, forward thinking at that time. And anyway, um, yeah, and, and it's about the reaction that he gets. And, and I played... A guy named Toddy Kuvitz, who I called him a bit of an Archie Bunker character. He he did not support Darren's coming out, right. and you know, but he was a bit of an idiot, and so he said some very funny things in his in his bigotry um, that you know uh, gave it you know that that Archie Bunker sort of quality to it. But um, yeah, uh, so that was the one summer, and then the following summer. I took a play to, uh, to, the, to uh, the Soho rep on Neal Street, uh, a play called Tape that was written by a good friend of mine named Stephen Balber, who, who actually wrote the play for me and my buddy Josh Stamberg. Um, and we had done it off Broadway. We did it at the Actors Theatre of Louisville at this great new play festival called Humana. We did it uh, again off Broadway, at a better theatre off Broadway with my wife's theatre company, Naked Angels. And we took it to uh, Los Angeles where we played the Coast Playhouse. And then we took it to Soho the following summer. Yeah. I mean, uh, what, it, what is it about the UK that you like? I mean, is the audience different? Um, you know, do you get a different reception? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, to, well, look, it's not fair to generalize. But in general, I would say that 
your call the, the English culture is one in which theater is not considered um, some sort of extraordinary treat. You know, mm -hmm. it seems to me that the prices are reasonable enough that many people from all areas of the of the spectrum are able to afford and enjoy the theater. Yeah. And in New York, it's become so crazily expensive that, um, you know, certainly Broadway. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, and, but even off-Broadway, I mean, you go to an off-Broadway, well, pre-COVID anyway, you go to an off-Broadway theater, you're going to spend, you know, 85 bucks to see a play. I mean, yeah. a lot of people consider that to be an extravagance. And, and yeah, that's, I mean, I, w I went to New York quite a few years ago. I mean, I've been, been to New York quite, quite a few times. And I went to go and see um, Mamma Mia. I was forced to go. Um, and <laughs> those, those tickets were like $200. Oh, yeah. A, a ticket. It was shocking. But yet in the UK, if you went to the West End, you're looking at about £50, so about $70. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so going on from your theatre, you go into film. So which one do you prefer? Do you prefer stage or TV and film? Uh, it's very, it's a very clear choice. I, if, from a purely acting standpoint, I much prefer the theater. Right. <laughs> uh, there's no, there's no substitute. It's, it takes me back to that being in the gym on a Friday night. There's yeah. no substitute for that crowd reaction, for that interaction and, and give and take between the live audience and, and the stage. It's, it's, it's a miracle every time it happens. I mean, and it happens every night. I mean, it, in various ways, it, it's just a real pleasure. It's a joy. And, uh, I, I would never, if, if I could make a living and support my family doing only plays, I would absolutely do it. But, but which is not to say film isn't fun. I mean, I'm looking at <laughs> behind you, you have, you have a picture of 13 hours. Thir making 13 hours was, was one of the greatest experiences of my life. And this is, this is a great segue because, you know, out of all the true, you know, the films based on true events, 13 hours for me knocked my socks off as they say in the UK, uh, because, you know, from start to finish, it's just literally on the edge of your seat. And yeah. the fact that it's based on true stories and, um, you know, true events. And after speaking with Mark Geist that play, you know, who is Oz, um, yeah. it's shocking. It really is that, that it happened. So how did the part come about for you uh, for 13 hours? Uh, well, it was... Um it was a straight up audition. I, I had no connection to Michael Bay. Um, the casting director, Denise Chamian was familiar with my work and she was a big fan. And, and, uh, and I love her for that. She's a, she's a great lady. <laughs> well, that's a good start, um, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. But, um, I got sent the script, uh, from my agent and, um, and you know, look, Brian, as an actor, we make these, especially now, we make these tapes, right? We make audition tapes all the time. Uh, and, you know, the numbers are not in our favor. I mean, I, I, I've never actually done the numbers, but I would guess that if I'm batting one for 20, I'm doing pretty well. I mean, it's mm -hmm. most, the vast majority, you make, you make an audition tape, it goes off to the producers or directors, and you never hear about it again. Yeah. So that's how this felt. I said, oh, this is cool. Uh, I did, they sent a link to the interview that those guys had done um, with Brett Bear. I don't know if you ever saw that. It's a round no. table interview. Yeah. No. You check it out. If you really love the movie, you should check out yeah. that interview. Um, it's Mark and it's, uh, you know, um, Tonto and, uh, and Tig are around a table and, and they're just talking about that night. This is before the movie was made, obviously. Um, so I made the tape and I forgot about it. Three weeks later, out of the blue, I get a call saying, Michael Bay loves your audition. You are, the, you are in first position. You are, you know, you have been pinned, as they say. You are, wow. the, the, you are the leading candidate for this role. <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding me? I mean, it's, it's, I rarely, at, at, at that time, I hated making tapes. Now, it, it, with COVID, you can't do anything but make a tape if you're interested. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're after offer it to you or you make a tape. There's no, nobody's taking meetings in person. I yeah. guess you could do a Zoom thing, maybe. I haven't done too many of those. But um, you either make the tape or you don't. But, but back then, I would hold out. I'd be like, no, I want to wait for the director to come to town. I'll, you know, I'll meet him in person. And sometimes that worked and sometimes 
you know, he never came or she never came and, and that never happened. Anyway, I wasn't expecting anything. And all of a sudden out of nowhere, I get this call and it's, and it happened. And, uh, and I quickly dove in. I got on the phone with John, John Tigan, who I was playing. He was amazing, uh, amazing guy and very, also very generous, you know, sharing details. And then we, he, they came to the set in Malta. Uh, the three of those guys did. The other two guys, Krasinski's character and Dave Denman's character remained anonymous. Yeah. Well, I, believe, I believe Dave Denman's character is now not anonymous. I think right. Boom is, is now uh, making public statements about it and it has been for a while. Yeah. Uh, the only one who's, you know, John Krasinski's character is still, I mean, we know who he is, but he's not, he's not in the public. Really. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, but the, the guys that were, that were, you know, willing to, you know, uh, be known to the world, they came to Malta for, for a week or so and, were on set with us and uh and 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 that just made it all the more amazing because you're literally reenacting what they went through and you can in between takes run over to video village and say hey did i get that right what should i do differently you yeah. know it, it's uh it was such a it was such a honor and and uh thrill to be to be playing these guys and uh yeah so you know man i i i probably will never I mean, look, I'd love to, but I'm I'm also realistic. That was that that might have been once in a lifetime that kind of gig. I mean, was you was you aware of the event before? You know, when you got the project through for the audition, were you aware of Benghazi and what actually happened? I had heard I'd heard the name, I had heard a little bit about it, but no, not really. It it didn't get a lot of play in the states until, you know, sadly, what happened was after the movie came out, we all right. So here's a funny story. We were. In the trailers, I think it was, the, it was the second to last day of shooting. It's like the middle of July or, or maybe even a bit earlier. But we're, we're watching the news from back home and, and Donald Trump announces that he's going to run for president. And once that happened, the story of Benghazi became this political football in which, you know, the people on the right wanted to use it against Hillary. The people on the left were trying to downplay it. And here we are making this movie. And, and look, we weren't, I can, I can 100% guarantee you, we were not talking politics at all. Yeah. Making of this movie. This is not, in our opinion, and we made the thing. We were not being political. All we wanted to do was to tell the honest story of what happened to these guys the night of September 11th, 2012 in Benghazi, Libya. As yeah. they tried to protect, you know, tried to save the ambassador, Christopher Stevens, and, and his people at that temporary consulate, which was woefully you know, underprotected. And of course, you know, it became what it became. Yeah. And then you go back to the CIA annex and, and protect those, those members of the CIA, you know, several dozen members who were meant to be there clandestinely and, and, and quickly were known to the world that, but, but the guys that, 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 that are, that are showcased in our movie, the six guys we play, they, they are heroes, you know, they put their they they put their self in harm's way. They they ran into the fire, literally. Yeah. And that's the story we wanted to tell, and it's a damn good story, and it's it's a it's a good movie, and it's and it's worth telling. But it wasn't meant to be part of this whole thing where like, you know, we condemn Hillary Clinton and we mm. want you know this or that. It became that, and certain yeah. people certain people absolutely ran with that. But I can tell you as an actor, and I remember people asking me was was it difficult to choose to do that, that show? And I thought, no, but now I see why you're asking because of what happened afterwards. Yeah. It became something else. Yeah. But that's not what I, it was. I, I mean, the thing is the story is literally about the brave men that went through that night and kept moving forward forwards and, and, you know, and it resulted in saving lives and there were losses, but it's about the heroic tale of the GRS. And it's told through their own words. Yeah, you know, they made the they they wrote the book, um, with Mitch and and it's it, you know. Look, I I will tell you this: it drives me crazy that people think that a lot of it is fabricated. Mm -hmm. I mean, look, there there may be uh, the only thing I will cop to is I think there were some explosions that Michael put in that probably never happened. <laughs> That's and there's you know. Yeah. And that because, you know, Michael is Michael and that's his brilliance and he wants to blow things up and, and then he blows things up better than anybody has ever blown things up. Yeah. And he gets amazing photography out of it. And, 
And look, if you, you know, is that a crime? Uh, not, not in my book. And, and he, he, yeah. Yeah. When I interviewed Mark Geist, you know, he, he said exactly that, you know, everything in the movie was spot on. There were a few things that had to be changed for the purpose of the movie, but the overhaul, the overall feel and what happened was in that movie. And I think that's the thing of getting the truth out there uh, from the eyes of the people actually in there, not politicians, not Without people that are, are, are behind a big oak desk, sitting in a big leather chair, smoking that cigar. The, this is a story from the people that endured that night. Um, what did John Tegan think of your portrayal of him? Uh, I, well, he's a very kind man. And uh, regardless <laughs> of what he really thought, he told me he loved <laughs> but I think he, I think he liked it a lot. I think he liked it. I think he liked the movie. I mean, listen, I'll be honest. I think it was really hard for John to watch the movie. And, well, I can imagine, and yeah. it took him a long time to what he did not. I'm not sure when, I think he has seen it or at least parts of it, but he did not want to come to screenings. You know, he did not want to, he, he, it was, you know, look, of course it's, they, they lost two of their, you know, good, good friends. Um, and, and, uh, it was obviously an extremely and all of them. Yeah. And so um, he, but but he 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 was so grateful to to for the experience and for all of us and and uh, we just uh, we all became the, the actors and the real guys. We became brothers. I mean, it was a very tight knit group. Yeah, and they're um, all getting together in a couple of days' time as well. Mark was saying because they do every year because it's the eighth anniversary of 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 that night so they're all getting together um on the uh 4k edition that 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 i've got um in the extras it shows all the training that you went through how yeah. hard was that training it was hard i mean and it was hum it was you know it was very you know you know hum humble humble inducing humility yeah. inducing um we trained with seals you know um michael bay has a guy uh harry humphreys who who has a, a group of guys, military guys that he, that he helps the actors work with. And, um, they put us through the paces, man. It was, uh, we worked really hard and we were constantly honing these skills that, you know, the worst thing that could happen in my opinion, Brian, is that somebody in the military watches our movie and goes, Oh, that's bullshit. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that it was the, it was the approval of, the seals who trained us that meant the most to me. And I think to most of our, to most of our actors. Um, and for the most part, I think the military, the, the guys who've seen it that I've been able to talk to and I've talked to, that's what another great thing that came out of this. I, I've been invited to many military functions and um, you know, like I just last year, I walked uh, down fifth Avenue during the veterans day parade with some guys. I mean, I, 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 my respect for the military has grown immensely. It yeah. was always strong, but I, I have the utmost respect for the men and women uh, who, who protect us around the world. And, and, you know, their opinion about that film means more to me than anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've got a lot of friends that are in the military and who are veterans uh, in the States and in the UK and, you know their thoughts on 13 hours is it's just astonishing it really really is and it will always be one of my favorite mo movies so thank you so much for thank for you. giving it giving us that great film um so what's next for you uh because with covid and everything like like, like that what is next for you down the line because i noticed there's a few projects in post-production and um are being completed so you've got sweet girl that is in post-production. I don't know if we can talk about that or if you're like sort of not allowed. Yeah, we could talk about it. I mean, I don't know when it's, the only thing I can't tell you is I don't know exactly when it's coming out. Right. It's a Netflix film starring Jason Momoa, um, who is, is an amazing guy. I, I, uh, I loved working with Jason. Um, really so warm. I mean, such an immense personality, such a, she just fills a room with positivity. Uh, you know, you, there are guys like that, uh, that I've had the good fortune of working with uh, from time. Will Smith is another guy like that. Like they, yeah. like they just, they're just positive people and you want to be around them and everybody wants to be around them. Um, so anyway, Sweet Girl 
uh, I think it's coming out at probably 2021. Um, but it's done. I mean, we got very lucky on that one. It, we it finished shooting <laughs> in the middle, like the middle of February. So it was literally just before COVID changed the world. Um, we shot it in Pittsburgh and, and had a great time. Um, uh, the only thing I can tell you that's concrete, I think, is uh, I did a series last year uh, called Godfather of Harlem, which is on something called Epics here in, in the States. I don't know if that's in the, in the UK, but it's not okay. yet. No. Okay. But maybe you have Hulu, right? You could watch, I think no, you could probably get it. Hulu. We haven't got Hulu. So, so half, half my listeners and viewers are, U, are US based. So we always have this joke because you've got Hulu, you've got all, you've got HBO max. Yeah. In the UK, we've hardly got anything. It's shocking. We've got Amazon prime. Yeah. Uh, so obviously the purge, which amazing series, um, you know, we've got Netflix, of course. Yeah. But no, I mean, it, it's sometimes oh, these programs do weird. come over, but a bit later on. I don't understand why. I mean, what, what, what is possibly the reason for not wanting to make more money? I mean, I all I have to do is say, hey, guys, you want to subscribe to this? And I'll take your, I'll <laughs> yeah. take your credit card. Yeah. I mean, I right. mean yeah, the yeah. thing is with the uh, Zach, Zach Snyder, um, you know, just, uh, just, just his league cut, uh, it's only exclusive to HBO Max. But surely the world wants to see it. So, you know, they're going to make money. So bring, bring it o o over here. So, so, yeah, so you've got that series that, that is it with uh, Forrest Whitaker? Forrest Whitaker plays yeah. uh, Bumpy Johnson, who's a, who's a, a real person, uh, a gangster in Harlem in the 1960s. Um, and so that makes it really interesting from a historical standpoint because you have, you have this guy who's, you know, a criminal, uh, but he's bumping heads or bumping, rubbing elbows, I should say. <laughs> bumping it, Bumpy Johnson. Uh, rubbing elbows with um, Malcolm X and Adam Clayton Powell and all these really significant historical figures of Harlem in the, in the 60s. Um, and, then, and then the other, so he's, he's trying to gain control from a, from a standpoint of the mob and he's, is bumping heads and shooting guns uh, at and receiving uh, from a guy named uh, Vinny the Chin Gigante, who's played by uh, Vincent D'Onofrio. And I played D'Onofrio's brother, who in real life was a priest. So I'm playing a Catholic priest on the show. Right. Uh, which is great. I love it. And um, great group. And they're all amazing. Forrest is uh, another guy you just want to be around. Really wonderful guy. And anyway, um, it's going to start, I've been told, production again in New York in October. So we'll see. That's yeah. awesome. Do you know? Do you know what this this COVID at the mo moment is is take, taking its toll on us? I mean, in the UK today, we've just had an announcement that we can't, um, you know, be in 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 groups of six or more. Uh, I mean, how is everything where you are? Because you oh. know, you've got two young kids. Um, I mean, how is everything? With them, because my 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 girls are seven and two, so oh, you know yeah. it's quite hard on them, you know, mentally. I mean, how yeah. how, how how are you get, getting on with those? Our our kids are a little older. Uh, our daughter is seventeen and our son is fourteen. So um, it's it's also very hard for for different reasons. I think they it's completely wiped out, you know, their social plans, which yeah. as a teenager is a big big deal. Um, it's a it's a pain, you know. I'm I'm talking to you from a cabin uh, upstate, about two and a half hours northwest of the city, uh, near the Delaware River, um, and uh, we're lucky enough to to have this. And it's not winterized, so we're only here uh, usually from May through October, uh, so we don't have much time left. <laughs> we're going to have to shut it down because <laughs> the, the the pipes will freeze. But um, it's been a great it's been a great escape to get out of the city this way. Um, the city, New York is, uh, is slowly coming back, but it's still, I mean, I would say the biggest difference is there's, there's no theater and there's no restaurants. Yeah. You can eat outside at the restaurant, but there's no going in, there's no in dining. And that, you know, you never realize how important that is to a city until, until you can't do it. I mean, it's, yeah. look, man, this whole thing, as you know, it's just a, it's a nightmare and, and uh, we've adjusted and we luckily we bought into wearing masks. So New York has kept the numbers way down. Yeah. You know, and, uh, but it's going to be interesting. I don't know. Once, once things go back to shooting, I, I haven't heard the details of 
of the protocol? Are they going to test the actor every day? Are they going to, I mean, I don't know what they're going to do. Well, funny you said that. Uh, There there is a production uh, based on Sleepless in Seattle that is in the West End at the moment. And that's the first show to actually fully go back on stage. And what they're doing is they're testing all cast and crew every single day for for coronavirus. Um, But how are they going to fill a house? How are you going to have... People so, sitting next to each other. Yeah, well, it's it's like one every three seats. So, uh, you know, a two thousand, well, sixteen hundred seat auditorium. Now they can only have four hundred. Yeah. Okay. So um, I don't know how viable that is. In yeah, the, listen, I'm I'm happy to hear they're gonna. Yeah, I'm happy to hear they're gonna try that. But as you say, how I've always been told that the margins on Broadway or the West End are so tight that if you don't have a full house, you you can't really survive. Yeah. So are they going to jack up the price? Is, yeah, is everybody yeah, going to pay four times now instead of, you know, 50, 50 quid, you're going to pay 200? I mean, what the hell? Yeah, welcome to Broadway. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and quickly, before before I end uh, this wonderful interview, I want to give a shout out to your wife because she has a wonderful podcast as well, uh, yeah, Little Known Facts. And, and what a beautiful voice she's got. I could listen to her voice all day. Well, she's going to... It's I'm so gonna relaxing. Her. You're going to make her day. She loves to hear that. Thank you for saying it that. It is really relaxing. Does she ever get in a bad mood? Because she just sounds like, <laughs> like literally, even if she got into a bad mood, it wouldn't be that bad. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, I confess I am able to put her in a bad mood from time to time. But not, it's not very often. She's a, we are she's men. <laughs> very positive person. Yeah. But yeah, thank you. Yeah. Little known facts with Alana Levine, right? It's yeah, a, it's wonderful. It's, um, She's been doing it for four years, and uh, and like you, she's just really good at at uh, getting people to open up. It feels like old friends chatting, and uh, yeah. yeah, it's fun. Yeah, thank you yeah. for saying that. No, 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 it's a pleasure. Um, so I'm I'm, I'm going to let you get back to whatever you're doing today, um, and um, but thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, thank you very much, Dominic. My pleasure. Good to talk to you. Thanks, Barry. Take care. You've been listening to Be More Super, the podcast. It was kind of a crazy, fun experience. I love the show, guys. You're awesome. Listen, my whole family loves it, man. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit the subscribe button and share it with your super friends. My world, let me talk.